John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. Um, what? I am. John Jacob Jingleheimer. That's like the Russian John Beatles. John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. Is that the, Jew- the, His like, the name Jewish was Beatles? My name too. Okay. Whenever I go out, the people always shout. There goes John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. Na 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 na. What? Have you not? That's like a fucking nursery rhyme. In where? Communist Russia? Uh, Tom, if I say John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt, do you know my name too? Whenever I go out, the people always shout, there goes John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. Da, 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 da. Jacob Is this a- Jingleheimer Schmidt, his name was my name too. Whenever I go out, the people always shout, there goes John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. Da, 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 da. Is this a Welsh thing? No. Yeah. <laughs> I've literally never heard this in my entire life. Uh, well, I got it from the Recess movie. I, I, I never saw the Recess I've movie. I've heard it before then, but it is my <clears throat> most strongest memory of that song. Yeah. Well, it wasn't that nice. <laughs> Five, four, <laughs> three, two. Ready? Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to another exciting episode. Of I don't know history. Here in the historian's chair today, I'm Alex McKeeley, and in the the other chair, we've got in, RJ. In Play the classroom, if this is a classroom, you're at the front desk, and I am in that uncomfortable chair that is also a desk. If this is a classroom, what kind of like upper middle class aristocracy kind of school am I going into, where the, the teachers all sit in like high backed armchairs? I mean, I'm also saying that this is a very comfy chair. We, very we, comfy. We're in my living room this time, where I wanted to get cosy. We've changed formats, ladies and gentlemen. It used to be, oh, I mean, it wasn't nasty hard wooden chairs. I had a nice kind of swivel chair in that, but now I'm 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 in real comfort. Good. Hopefully, you can hear it in my voice. Anyway, today, Archie, you what do you think? You can hear the cushioned buttocks. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> If anyone ever tells me they can hear my buttocks, I'll be like, what, what is this, does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? <sighs> Do you know what topic we're doing today, RJ? You should, because I've told you. Oh, so you're making me say it this time. Yes. It's the Roaring, Roaring Twenties. That's what? a Panic at the Disco song. Is it? Mm-hmm. What is the Roaring Twenties, RJ? The Roaring Twenties was, I'm guessing, a peak of... Culture in art and music is one that I'm aware of. Uh, it's where the term hipster comes from, which was a white guy who listens to jazz. Oh. Um, uh, I did not know that. Uh, that's what I found out back in 2011 when people kept calling me a hipster. Wow. And it's 2019 and I fully accept that t- that term <laughs> belongs to me. So you're pretty much right. Um, it's a time of, it's a period of economic prosperity particularly yeah. as well, worldwide, and uh, enormous amounts of cultural development in the Western world. Mm-hmm. So we're going to focus on America, because it was the most interesting, let's say. Yeah. There are other in- examples of countries that had a lot of development and change during the 1920s. Britain changed quite a lot in the 20s. Yeah. Um, Germany particularly as well, because they were suffering after World War One. Everyone was suffering after World War One. Let me Let me paint the scene for you. World uh-huh. War I has just ended in 1918, and everything's fucked. <laughs> Basically. Yes. Everyone's dead. Nobody has any money. It's all, it's all awful. 
So, in order to counteract that, people, I guess, try to be more positive? That's not really why the Roaring Twenties started. I'm going to tell you why the Roaring Twenties started, but after I tell you about some of the more important aspects of the Roaring Twenties. Now, <clears throat> jazz. You mentioned music. The <laughs> Roaring Twenties is almost synonymous with a time called the Jazz Age. Yes. Uh, flappers? Do you know what flapper is? Yes. What is a flapper, RJ? It's not a word I can describe on this podcast, the meaning I'm thinking of, but say your one. It's a, it's just, it's like a, it's a woman. It's just a young, hip, trendy woman. Ah, right, okay. What did you I can't say on the podcast. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> uh, and also Art Deco. Okay. Um, Art Deco is like to do with, the, the most obvious examples of it are in architecture. Okay. And we'll touch on some Art Deco buildings. Because I hear Art Deco and I instantly think Andy Warhol more than anything that's, else. But that's Pop Deco, yeah, isn't pop, it? Pop, pop, pop Art. Pop, pop, yeah, yeah. Oh, pop Art. What am I thinking of? Pop-Tarts? Yes, I'm thinking of the Kellogg's Food Pop-Tarts. I mean, I'm always kind of thinking about Pop-Tarts. Anyway. <laughs> um, yes, it was also a period of political stability in between wars, particularly in America, with the election in, 19, in 1920 of Warren G. Harding. Mm-hmm who just kind of brought everyone back to normality a little bit. Everything settled down. There wasn't so much, should we go to war? We probably shouldn't go to war. What about the those Bolsheviks? And they also kind of kept out of everyone's business a little bit, despite the fact that the League of Nations had been formed. The League of Nations. Of, they also just kind of went, well, well, we'll make the League of Nations, and then we'll kind of be in it, but you guys can, you guys can run it. So, the, yeah. Uh, interesting developments that came out of the 1920s. The automobile. Well, the rise of the automobile. Yeah. The first Ford had really gone at it at that Ford period, had, right? Yes. The first automobile was built in 1908. Mm-hmm. It was a Ford Model T. But um, in the 1920s, it really took off. The telephone. Mm-hmm. Film. Radio. Electrical appliances. Importantly, women's suffrage. <laughs> and sort of a focus on celebrities. So you... It's in the 1920s when you first really see these famous people being kind of revered in the way they are, like uh, Babe Ruth and Buster Keaton and all these sorts of people, and like all the vaudeville acts and things like yeah. that. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is something a little more boring. I, well, I say boring, conventionally boring. I mm-hmm. think it's thoroughly interesting, which is U.S. economy. Yeah. So it didn't start out tremendously. There was in, inevitably after a huge war the scale of World War One. World War Two was probably bigger in scale, but World War One was the first of these, you know, enormous... Types of war. Like, war, everyone like, has weapons now, and they're, they're, they're excited to shoot each other. And it was long, and it was bloody, and there were so many countries involved. Inevitably, there's going to be a post-World War slump, a recession, mm-hmm. um, due to a, a stop in wartime production. During the war, it's, a, it's usually okay. It keeps going. But after the war, when all this... People stop making munitions and people stop buying munitions and there's less trade in that area. You're going to go into a slump. But what turned it around was uh, the thousands of American soldiers returning to America and entering the labor force. And these huge amounts of uh, munitions and wartime factories and these production lines that had started being made allowed um, them to be converted for domestic purposes. And because of the construction lines as well, it allowed something called mass production, which is a huge part of 
the economic boom in the 1920s, particularly in America. So let's first let's talk about automobiles. Automobile. The car. The car. The so we've already mentioned Ford, like you said, the Model T. Um, so these, these, these factories that were built allowed mass production of cars to the point where they ceased to be a luxury expense. Prior to the 1920s, they were very specifically a rich person thing. But now they weren't because they were being produced so much more cheaply because of, because of factories. Everyday people were buying cars. So what's that going to do if everyone has cars? It's going to make roads have to become a thing properly. It is that, but it's also... You can start at automobiles and you can go everywhere. If you if you think the, the car really is kind of the the dry, if you'll pardon the pun, the, the driving, driving force, force behind um, expansion. Yeah. Because if you can drive, you can live further away from where you work. So where housing is cheaper, yeah, more people move to. So people are going to have to like companies are going to have to build houses down there. They need a road to connect it. Who who makes roads like? Like how people live on the outskirts of London for cheap housing, but commute invite the tube. Exactly. Without a car, that'd be very difficult in America. Um, so Ford was the dominant manufacturer, but obviously due to the demand, mm-hmm. um, the hugely increased demand, other manufacturers had to throw in their hats, notably General Motors. Oh yes, GM. And they so own so a begins. A lot of stuff and have made a lot of faulty products. They have, but so begins the huge the, the rivalry between Ford and General Motors. Uh, which, yeah, like I said, jump-started other industries. So highways and roads, steel production, because you need steel to make the cars, um, new housing projects outside the urban core, as I said. I really need to stop preempting myself. I don't know what it was when I was younger, but I always thought Ford <coughs> was a British company. And I think that's because the first car my family ever owned was a Ford Fiesta. It also is because, I think, Ford is like an English-sounding name. Mm-hmm. whereas And the logo is like assigned kind of name so yeah. it feels a bit more Whereas elegant and Renault, British values Peugeot, Citroen they all sound clear. vaguely foreign yeah and, and so like yeah. you can take a when you say Ford Mustang very American Mustang whereas you say funny enough F- I, Ford Focus for instance it's like ooh, hmm. kind of British whereas Ford Fiesta does sound sounds Spanish yeah Yes, Continue. Ah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Get in my party wagon. <laughs> also, another development, radio. Oh, here radio we go. This is where I am really going to get interested. I don't have that much on radio. To oh! Be um, because unfortunately, radios were thoroughly expensive. Mm-hmm. Because of the, you know, obviously... The amplifiers. With yeah. Them. It was made of new parts and it was difficult to make them and things like that. Um, but they did present opportunities for mass marketing. Because obviously they were cheaper. It was cheaper to to create advertising for the radio because you don't have to create a great big printed billboard or anything like that. And it was also easier. All you have to do is hire a person to talk for a bit, rather than having to paint this. Because there's no printing. Yeah. You have you have to paint your your advertising. It's much more efficient as well. It must have been very interesting to be around during that time of the radio because they're like. I can't say her actual name because she's in this room, but the Amazon Echo, um, like, is a big thing now that people are like, oh, it's pointless. What's the point? You you know, you can just look outside for the weather. Mm-hmm. You can go to your computer if you want to do something. It's completely useless. And it's like, well, people f- must have thought that about the radio as well. A little appliance in the room that would tell you the news. 
And that's how I treat my well, I, Echo. That you're exactly right. But I also think that extends to every kind of piece of technology. I think, oh, I've got a car so I can drive it. And people, some people would have been, what's wrong with your horse? My religious you studies know? teacher, um, her sister um, said um, she wasn't going to study computer technology because uh, it's ne- not going to go anywhere <laughs> back in the 80s. And it's like, well, you were certainly wrong. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um but yeah, I just find that, I always find that quite interesting. Also, remind me, I would love to do an episode then. Again, I would love to host another episode because the, the last week's episode. Uh, I want to do Pirate Radio of the 60s and 70s. Oh, okay, cool. And um, may chuck in some CB radio stuff within that because oh, there was a big popularity boom in the 70s mm-hmm. for CB radios. Still on radios. Yes. You've got to think also about the new industry that it created. Mm-hmm. The media industry. Yeah. Because before that, what what was the media industry, really? Newspapers. Yeah. TV isn't out yet. Your newspaper could go so much further because cars existed. <laughs> you didn't have someone The spread of information. That is, it, yeah. It's quite interesting. Yeah, the spread really. of information was so much faster. Yeah. And I think that Cause like, really revolutionizes everything. Um, obviously, like, you know, radio being a thing in general. Like, obviously, ra- hand... Radios for military use would have been before this anyway. Yeah. But it's interesting to think before that, when it comes to wars ending, it's like, hey, we need to... We won. We won. No more. No more fighting. But there's another battle, like, a town away. Uh People are dying, even though the war's over, kind of thing. Actually, so you say that. But um, I know that certainly in World War I in the British trenches, there were telephones. Oh, yeah. You would telephone your dugout, another dugout, and be like, oh, yeah, here are your orders. Oh, yeah, and people, I remember seeing, like, a lot in film, people pulling that wire kind of thing. Yeah, obviously, down wire. Obviously, some of those wires so maybe are for explosives. Perhaps radio but... wasn't even a thing. Yeah, interesting. In, in the in the, uh, in the, in the in World War One. Yeah. yeah, because of, so like, a lot of them would be handheld, and, mm. like, you wouldn't want to carry a giant, like, handheld now, I mean, whereas back then it would have been giant so the technology wouldn't have been there that's interesting you see them in World War 2 movies as well you've always got the one soldier with a great big backpack on with an aerial yeah which is the radio operator yeah it is interesting to see how information spread from Mm. the roaring 20s cinema so while cinema grew it did unfortunately kill the old vaudeville routine Mm -hmm. I mean vaudeville's not something I love but you know it's a form of a form of art, so that's kind of sad. However, many vaudevillians they moved straight into the film industry. Can you tell me the name of a vaudevillian? Vaudevillian. Yes. That sounds like a villain. Um, I I don't know much. Someone who about was in vaudeville. Vaudeville. Um, I, d- I genuinely don't. If know. If you tell me an early film star, they're also likely to be a, va- a vaudevillian. Okay, we're talking twenties, and I'm mm-hmm. thinking I'm going to say Judy Garland. Judy Garland, you are incorrect. Really? Yeah. I was thinking like Wizard of Oz kind of thing and then Korea before that, because that would have been... So let me tell you about some, some famous vaudevillians that made the uh, switch to film. Yeah. Uh, do you know Abbott and Costello? Yes. The who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third routine? No. Oh, the fam- famously a famous comic double act. Yeah, no, I, I know the double act, I just don't know. Yeah. Maybe I do know what the... Bit that you're you might on have about, heard it, yeah, but yeah. I don't know its name um, properly. The Marx Brothers, yes, were vaudeville. Buster Keaton, mm-hmm. Jimmy Durante, 
mm-hmm. Mae West. No, but yeah. Eddie Cantor. No, but yeah. And the most famous of them all, Al Jolson. Oh, okay. Who was problematic for some reasons. I mean, if at this point everyone's problematic, uh, like beyond the year of 1919, I mean, yeah, some even true. after that. Al Jolson did like blackface. But you could do blackface then and it was just like, oh, okay. What were they? Uh, d- like, it was called... There were characters based on that kind the of thing minstrels, in the end. They were, like uh, minstrels and uh, one of the famous ones in the UK were Gollywogs. I think yes. they were characters for a marmalade or jam company. Which oh. Is, yeah. It's, oh, I don't know. I don't know so. that. That's something I need you know, to look they, into. They've got Paddington on them at the minute. Um, that brand. Um but yeah, they were. I remember seeing a Facebook post that was just like, "Bring back the Gollywogs." They were cute characters, and saying, even saying that word, mm-hmm. icks me a kind little because I bad. know what yeah. the character is. It's like saying, even minstrel kind of yeah. freaks me out because I know what it's referring to, yeah, and yeah, I feel yeah. dirty even yeah. referring to. I it. totally understand what you mean. Um, obviously, vaudevillains villains took to cinema very well because it's uh, just better pay. And it was just easier work because a vaudeville routine can last for several hours and you're constantly going and you can't stop. And some of the things they did was were, were insane. You need to like look up some old vaudeville routines because there are like videos on them, on the earliest video cameras and things like that. Um, but obviously you, you had time between takes and film. Um, so the first sound film, first film ever to have sound in it. I mean... Um, like sound that was part of the film. Yeah. Because prior to that, you had silent films, which were completely silent, and there was someone playing a piano in the auditorium, which kind of weirds me out a little yeah. bit. Yeah. The idea of that. That's was, a, uh, like a lot of Charlie Chaplin films. Chaplin, yeah. Chaplin was very big in the 20s as well. Yeah. But he yeah. was in talking films like The Great Dictator, which I believe came out in... This makes uh, great use of later. the fact that in the advert for season two of I Know History has a section with Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> mm. So there is a... The first film with sound in it was directed by Lee DeForest mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't really anything of note apparently <laughs> it was just it just had sound the, the first real major breakthrough in um, film as far as sound was concerned because prior to this they had all been they were all generally musicals you had people singing was uh, the, the man we mentioned before Al Jolson okay do you know what the first ever talkie was called in 1927 <sighs> Uh, I have no clue. It was the jazz singer. Oh. Have you ever heard the phrase, wait a minute, wait a minute, you ain't seen nothing yet? Yes. That's the jazz singer. Oh. From 1927, Al Jolson. But he's, he starts singing a song, right? And it, then he, he stops and he, he starts having dialogue. And that completely changed cinema. That you could tell narrative stories with, with film. People hadn't even considered that in 1927. Yeah. It must yeah. be so freaky to be on that kind of peak of something for for culture to change that much. Because mm-hmm. I not even know at the time. Yeah, you know, I, may, maybe the internet is a bit like that mm-hmm. because the changing of internet, but it's still based on adding stuff that already existed just to onto a onto a different on demand platform. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so, I, what's going to be the next thing then, or maybe it's the internet that thing? But we haven't fully. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we there? haven't fully, fully explored the capabilities of the internet. Yeah, maybe it's something we will look back. Maybe on they'll similar to. Soon there'll be a hive mind. We can just connect our minds with everyone, <laughs> and have shared knowledge, shared racism. That you can just shared sexism, oh, yeah. shared everyone's gay. 
everyone hates themselves. But also everyone hates gays. Yeah, a, a great mixture. Of, it's it's oh, no, a melting be the, pot. That'd be the worst. <laughs> Actually, thinking about it, it's just a bunch of people depressed and angry. Um, what came out in 1928, RJ? Um, really famous film, animated. Animated famous film. Yep. The, the most famous animated film, let's say. The most famous the, animated. The first fi- ever animated film. The first ever animated mm-hmm. film. I. Oh, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. No, no, that's so. That's so far wrong. That's where it's, it's about years fifteen out. years afterwards. Yeah, I don't know then. It's a Walt Walt Disney production. It is a Walt Disney. I thought yeah. Snow White was the first one. No, Mickey Mouse. It's Steamboat Willie. Steamboat Willie. <laughs> <laughs> Steamboat Willie came out in 1928. Oh, I should. I've literally. I'm literally holding my Mickey Mouse wallet right now. <laughs> but obviously, all these things start like animated films, spoken word films, uh, musical films. So people flocked in their thousands into newly built cinemas mm-hmm. and obviously that created hundreds of thousands of jobs across America yeah so another thing but well, like a couple of a couple of smaller a couple of smaller things I mean they're, they're both vastly important but there's not much to talk about uh, aviation mm-hmm. so prior to this uh, you had uh, wartime uses for aviation you had like sop with camels and really rubbish planes stuff like that just used for reconnaissance and stuff they started strapping machine guns and stuff to it but um, you started getting civilian flights. So Charles Lindbergh was a gentleman who was the first man. He flew from Long Island to Paris, which is yeah. the first ever transatlantic flight. Ooh. Yeah. That must have been so scary. Well, it's Just consider- being in there like... <gasps> I think it would have too, considering it took him 33 and a half hours. Oh my God. <laughs> Did he, have to- he must have had to keep landing on no. that. How do you- Where do you land? I don't know. But like, how much petrol do you have for... 33 and a half hours. I don't know. Enough, I guess. You must do. Otherwise, he'd have crashed and died. Maybe he turned the plane off for a bit and it, gl- it gl- glided. I Potentially, don't know. I don't know. The, the way well, how of the far could you go before having to fire it back up? And that would spit out no more idea. potential more waste. That is freaking my brain out. I need to research That's this because that Charles, sounds weird. Charles Lindbergh. Charles Lindbergh. Lindbergh. And all, another important person was a, a lady called Amy Johnson. She was British. In 1930, okay. so we're at the very end of the 20s at this point, she flew from Britain to Australia. Oh. She may have landed. She m- she may have landed. There was, there's there's more land between Britain and Australia than there is between oh. Long Island and Paris. <laughs> I was like, what? It's unsure if she made it to Australia? <laughs> well, she did disappear in 1941. Over, over the uh, the English Channel. That's very similar to um, Emily Hart. Oh, yeah, Hart? The, the the American lady who tried to circumnavigate the globe. Yes, uh, Emily Lockhart. Is it? It uh, could be that. I don't. Oh my god! Just continue. Okay. <laughs> and in a, in a moment, Archer just shout out her name. Amelia Lockhart. Amelia Lockhart. You were close. Yeah. You really. Did you say Emily Lockhart? Emily Lockhart. You were literally like one syllable away. Yeah. So um, fair play. Emily. RJ knows history. <laughs> Maybe. It's happening. I think it's just because you're at a, a cultural point in history yes. where I find it a bit more just 20th, of my 20th cup century, of tea. So, um, so I, I, I know it a bit more. Mm. Uh, what do you know about uh, medicine? Medicine Medicinal discoveries. Uh, I don't know the specific dates of it. 
you mentioned before we started the podcast about penicillin. Mm-hmm. That I'm aware of, and it was invented by accident. By whom? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> he shares he shares one name with me. Um, I'm gonna go with. Oh wait, I've forgotten your middle name, so I'm just gonna say it's Alex. My, it's my first name. Alex. Alexander. Alexander. Alexander Fleming. Fleming discovered penicillin. I think what he did was he he drew like he was his cows had he was like a he had cows and his cows had cowpox mm-hmm. and he like withdrew the pus from inside their pox marks yeah you know and discovered that that would treat it, it's a vaccine essentially it, a little bit of it would would help cure people of uh, yeah smallpox. So at this point, basically, because of penicillin, smallpox was entirely eradicated. I was told in school that he left something aside, and it went off. I've forgotten. I don't know about that. I definitely heard an interesting story. Whether or not this is true is that a... um, Because smallpox can live in the body after death, uh, someone exhumed a corpse that had smallpox and caught smallpox off it. And there was a minor epidemic of it. Until we managed to get rid of it. But also things like pneumonia and scarlet fever and, you know, various other life-threatening infections that would have killed people if not penicillin had come along. Do you know what I mean? Like, penicillin is such a... so ubiquitous these days, unless you're allergic to it. Yeah. Which sucks. It's an antibiotic, isn't it? It's an antibiotic, yes. Yeah, it I've, infections. I've been on it for... I've been on penicillin um, multiple times. Chest infections, yeah. yeah. Um, just to think, before 1928, you probably would have died. You probably would have just died from that chest infection. Just that chest yeah. infection. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember coughing up a lot of stuff during it. And become but... tuberculosis, and then you, you just died. Oh, my Or even God. pneumonia. Do you I know was, what I mean? I could have died in my uh, 21. Yeah. Or because I don't even know what I got that time. Like, I don't know how I got it. It's weird how you can just catch something and like, oh, I'm dead. Mm. I'm dead now. <laughs> That's just what happened. Like, do you know in other episodes of I Don't Know History, um, I've talked to you about how kings just suddenly died. Yeah. It's because they catch like, well, I don't know, like, like sweating sickness, which is essentially, oh, what what is it? It's essentially like norovirus. Oh, oh. And they just die. Or they get, uh, what is sweating sickness called? Sweating sickness. It's a, it's a, it's a real, it's a disease that exists now, but back then they called it sweating sickness. Sweating sickness too does. Um, what exactly was sweating sickness? Uh, carry on, and I will update you. All right. Well, we're not talking about medicine anymore after this, so I kind of want to, kind of want to get to that point before we. Uh, before we get there. As far it's a disease of unknown cause that appeared in England as an epidemic on five occasions. Uh, there isn't very much about it, uh, mm-hmm. as what they can put it down to. Uh, drenching sweat came on accompanied by uh, severe headache, delirium, and rapid oh, pulse. Oh, it's hantavirus. Hantavirus? Yeah, hantavirus. Never heard of that. You get it from rats. Oh, so the plague. <laughs> Not the plague. Not the plague, but... Rats, rats spread multiple diseases. <laughs> to be fair, anyway. if someone said to me, oh, I, if I said to someone, oh, I got a plague... Uh, not a plague. I got a disease from a rat. They're going to be like, you have the plague? <laughs> I would think that as well. Or leptospirosis. I don't know what that is. Vi- 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 Viles disease? I don't know what that is. Look it up. Not is that going to be disgusting? Not now! <laughs> <laughs> I 
I think it's a good time to take a break from the podcast to let you know that I Don't Know History is brought to you by Podmage.com. A different different kind kind of casting. casting. Um, Other podcasts available on Podmage.com include... Well, Arja, you let us know. Uh, They are Kaparaji, which is the podcast that I indeed host. It's a nice little Monday morning kind of podcast. We have a big back catalogue over there full of fun, learning, and talking about poop. Uh, In one specific episode, yes, we did talk a lot about poop. Yeah, I kept trying to be like, hey, let's... Let's talk about how to solve your problems. No, let's talk about how big our poops have yeah, been. Yeah, but our problems, my, my, my problems specifically, as, as an irritable bowel syndrome sufferer, are to do with poops. That's fair enough. So, There's also a podcast called 69 Movies, which should be out coming by soon. the time this podcast is out. I damn well hope so. It's um, a movie hosted by Tom Stickler and myself. A movie? It's a movie, movie review podcast. It's a podcast hosted by... Movie review podcast um, hosted by Tom Stickler and myself. Of Rhymequest fame. Of, of the Rhymequest, which is also a podcast on, the, on uh, Podmage, um, on which we review films that are reviewed 6.9 or 69, depending on the website, because... Um, we like funny jokes. And also, 6.9 is a very solid film. It's not, You're not after Schindler's List all the time. Sometimes you just after a solid film that like, you can uh, enjoy. Like Liar Liar. Like, like Liar Liar. And The Mask. And Captain America the First Avenger. I can't believe that's a 6.9. Yeah, uh, there's so many films out there that, uh, that are a 6.9 that are just very good films. You check out the list and they're good films. During the podcast, we... Uh, give a go at playing a game. So the first episode for Liar Liar uh, is Liar Liar Pants on Fire. And it's, we, it's, it's going to be very shoehorned games based on the name uh, of the film. Like Keanu Reeves is in Always Be My Maybe. And the game for that episode was called Keanu Always Reeves My Maybe. And it's dumb. It's really dumb. That's really dumb. I'm very... Uh, excited and I thought you were going to say happy. I'm very sorry about I'm, I'm not sorry when have I ever been sorry for a pun that's uh, true r- uh, this episode of I don't know history is also brought to you by roganbard.com for players by players I was going to say that uh, it is a nice little uh, A5 D&D character booklet uh, to minimise the amount of stuff that you need as well as have a nice little high quality character sheet for your D&D playing purposes uh as as you probably are aware a4 character sheets take up too much space at the table they crumple in your bag they get dirty super quickly these books take all those problems away and it's 8.99 on roganbard.com for players by players that was lovely there we are so something else that obviously uh grew massively in america in the 20s was infrastructure Infrastructure. Now, what does infrastructure mean? I when I was younger, I, I always saw this thing infrastructure. I was like, what the hell is infrastructure? For me, infrastructure would be education, uh, financial spending correctly, and like political infrastructure. So, so infrastructure generally refers to. If you're talking about social infrastructure, yes, but infrastructure is um, roads, bridges, agriculture. Oh, uh, okay. So, cars led to huge developments in infrastructure. The car kind of led to everything. So um, we're talking traffic lights, talking, street lamps. Exactly. Roads, bridges, as we've already said. Making, I'm guessing, laws. So say like having to get people to understand. Because I'm guessing when they first came out, traffic lights weren't the right colours that we see now. Oh, I don't know. 
they might have been say like just red and green at the time whereas now we have amber i think or, that or, i'm pretty sure that's true in fact i don't think there was an amber light at the very beginning and i don't think they they might not have even been lights they might have been mechanical like uh, ding because yeah. you i always hear in films like the little ding 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 oh like, yeah it wasn't like, like it was stop and go wasn't it yeah i think something like that yeah so um Writing into laws and uh, the institution of driving tests, which in the 20s, there was no such thing. Oh, that must have been so much fun. There was also no people to be like, I bought my car. Why do I now have to do a test? I'm just going to drive it. There was also, um, yeah, no speed limit. But obviously cars could only go so fast. You you couldn't trundle along at 80 miles an hour in your Ford Model T. Although if you hit someone in a Ford Model T, oh, they're going to be in bits. They can explode. Um, I am aware the that there wasn't a speed limit on the motorway, uh, the UK motorway, until someone took their car on there and did 120 miles an hour. Thanks, and then man. the government went, okay, speed limits are needed. <laughs> that, guy, that, that guy ruined it for everyone. Well, I think but it was also a car promotion to show how yeah. fast that car could we go. We have to cater for the weakest in our society, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. If people, some people are going to go on the roads and drive at 120, like 150 miles an hour, and not all of us are. It's like we all have to suffer. It's like thanks, Brian. <laughs> Brent. Brent. I'm going to call him Brent. But obviously, also the the car also revolutionised agriculture Ooh. because farmers could now hauge, haul 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 huge amounts of produce in pickup trucks. Yeah. So rather than before, they'd have to carry it or put it on a horse or put it in a cart and it would take forever, they could just drive it in. Mm-hmm. And it also meant you could get fresher products from the farmer to the city in, like in half the time. People wouldn't be pickling at stuff as much. Yeah, that's true. You'd get fresh food and things like that. Was f- were, fridges weren't a thing in the 20s, were they? Oh, well. <gasps> oh! They became a thing. Yeah. Just like uh, washing machines mm-hmm. and spin dryers and all the sorts of uh, white goods, which you could get on higher purchase. That's like the first example of... Um, getting something on credit mm-hmm. a lot of people got cars on credit um, so they would put like a down payment and then they would pay in pay finance yeah just like like today because yeah. like a mattress uh, like, sadly we're not as big of a, a podcast to get a uh, Casper mattress a Casper promotion. mattress promotion <laughs> uh, but hey Casper if you want to hook us up I really need a new bed who have I who have I called out on the podcast before Graham Norton Graham Norton. Yeah, like I, episode, there's something vague. I was like, is, Graham, Graham, if you're watching, big fan. Oh, that's <laughs> I, I always do that. Um, but yeah, all those kind of goods became available. In fact, the higher purchase, while it was good for the time, kind of contributed to the the stock market crash at the end of the twenties, which I will get into. Very similar to the how people getting uh, really bad loans, uh, mortgages mm-hmm. in the nineties and two thousand, which caused the financial crisis of two thousand and eight. Oh, they're, they're vastly in in scale. They're vastly different. Oh yeah, I'm, get, uh, <laughs> I'm guessing so, but I just mean tourism yeah. is another industry that became a thing because of cars. People could go places, so hotels and restaurants had to open up. And Want to drive on down to Texas? Yeah. People, people hadn't before. You lived in New York. That was that you just stayed in New York because your horse can only ride so far. That must be such a culture shock as well. You could take the road down to like Philadelphia and see like the Liberty Bell and all that stuff. Like, wow, it made the country so much smaller. And this is, you know, it's it's a really big country. But you've got to think like the the financial epicenters at this point were New York and Chicago. Yeah, Los Angeles existed, but it wasn't. 
the the juggernaut that it is today. Yeah, it was it was the go- not the golden age of Hollywood yet, was it? That was thirties. It was it's coming up at this like when yeah, was it's, the go- it's coming up at this time, but it's much more like a you know you go there on holiday. Yeah, like Florida and places like that, or Cuba at the time. Cuba. But you also got to think of the other industries that the car helped along: the glass industry, the rubber industry. And also, electrification is an important part of the infrastructure. So as more communities were set up due to the increased mobility offered by cars, more and more electric power cables were installed, adding large parts of the U.S. to the national grid. And the same with telephone and plumbing and sewer systems. And as more people flocked to these cities because more people had cars and there was more work in the cities because of all these these hundreds of new industries, Mm -hmm. New York and Chicago particularly built bigger and taller skyscrapers. Why do you think they built big, tall skyscrapers? Um, fit more people into one yep. place. Housing, businesses. Yeah. And thirdly, just like just so they could say they have the tallest. Yeah, dick measuring. For contest. real, literally. Yeah. No. Yeah. You... Between New York and Chicago, what is the tallest tower in the world today, RJ? Today. Today. It's in Dubai, isn't it? It's the Burj Khalifa. Yes, you are correct. There it is. It's eight hundred odd meters high. What's the highest building in America? Um, I don't. Haven't they renamed it recently? Uh, is it in Chicago or ah the Willis Tower? Yes, or formerly the Sears Tower. That's yeah. Until very recently, yes, you would have been correct. Oh, what what has overtaken that? It is the One World Trade Center. Oh, okay. At five hundred and forty-one meters. Prior to that, as you mentioned, the Sears Tower in Chicago was the tallest building in America at four hundred and forty-two meters i'm deliberately doing meters because the americans use don't use the metric system (laughs) and uh some people just want to watch the world burn however in the 30s and sort of late 20s multiple and the the early did i say the 20s yeah in the 20s and early 30s and late 10s several large buildings were built in new york and chicago do you know any no, I, when I think about Chicago, I mainly think about Sears Tower and the Bean. Well, so the, the buildings in Chicago were, for example, the Pittsfield Building, mm-hmm. 168 meters, the Civic Opera House, the Palmolive Building, the Chicago Temple Building, and the highest, by the end of the decade, the Chicago Board of Trade Building at 184 meters, which is dwarfed by the Sears Tower. Uh, in America, you had the Woolworth Building. Not America. New York, sorry. <laughs> you had the Woolworth Building, the Bank of Manhattan Building, the Chrysler Building, mm-hmm. and the Empire State Building. That, the Woolworth of, a, of that is the same Woolworths that crashed here, right? I'm not sure. I, I never really understood. Because be. I remember... Like, I remember something that might have connected them. Mm. But at the end of its construction in 1930, the Empire State Building was the tallest building in the world and was for quite some time, till 1970, until the construction of the World Trade Center. Yeah. It has since fallen to the 45th tallest building in the world. I think it's like 20 of them are in China. Uh, as you said, the tallest building in the world currently is the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. Ew. Um... But also, it's important to note that the Empire State Building and the Chrysler Building were uh, real fine examples of Art Deco, as we mentioned before. As were the Civic Opera House in Chicago, and several of these other buildings as well, the Woolworth Building and places like that, were these great big glass 
structures. And like the, uh, particularly the Chrysler building is an interesting one because you know at the top it's kind of it's got those curves and it's sh- into like a into a funny pit. It's difficult to describe the Chrysler building. Just Google the Chrysler building, and you'll see what I mean. I know, I know what you get it. Yeah. Any any tall building that they introduce now, the 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 floor where you can see into nothing, like just down. Mm-hmm. I hate. I hate the idea of going out to a platform and seeing 400 meters below me because I, I wouldn't be able to cope. I'd mm. be like, I hate this because I know structurally this is probably fine. Yeah. But yeah. what if this time what it is? What if it was one time? Someone it has to be the first to fall through. <laughs> is it me? <laughs> Do you know what the tallest building in Britain is? Um, no, I never really think about it. It's the it's Shard. in London, but yeah. It's the Shard. Do you know what it was before the shard? Uh, I don't know. It's not that stupid bubble. Not the gherkin. Bubble. The gherkin. No, it's one. not the gherkin. It's um, I think it's called One Canada Way. Oh, in Canary, uh, Canada Water, I'm guessing, or is it in, in Canary, Canary Wharf? Wharf? I don't know why it's called Canada Way, but it's it's Canary Wharf. Maybe it's closer to Canada Way out of the out of all of them. Is there? Like, a, yeah. There's Canada Water in. It was on. Well. It's on Canada Way. One Canada Way. It's the yeah. address, but um. It's the it's a one Canada Way is a really boring looking skyscraper. It's like so typical skyscraper. If it's the HSBC building, then I don't know. It might be the HSBC building. It's do you watch The Apprentice? Uh, yeah, no, not really. But I know I I I may have, you know that, I may rent an apartment in London now and again that looks out on Canary Wharf. Okay, well it's the it's the really tall one, the second tallest building on the skyline, not the yeah. chart that has like the pyramid. Top. Oh, okay. If you watch The Apprentice, uh, in the opening helicopter shot, as they fly over, it's the big building you can see. Oh, big tall right. building. Then you've also got the BT Tower, and uh, I can't remember the other ones. I did look these up, but I didn't <laughs> down. What are you Googling? I'm Googling One Canada one Way, Canada just way. to make sure that I am correct in my... In my one Canada Way, you said, yeah. right? Well, it's giving me Bristol for some reason. Is it called? Is it One Canada Way? <laughs> Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, we just have to take a minute to uh... factually check because we yes. prefer to be correct on this podcast. One. Mm-hmm. It's actually we've just checked. It's One Canada Square. Yes. My mistake. Not One Canada Way. One Canada Square. And the HSBC building is Eight Canada Square. Oh, so, so it's it right. Ra- it's right nearer then. It's yeah. They're they're on the same like thing it is canary the, it's the iconic look mm. of canary wharf yes yes and then the gherkin just in the middle there yeah just there hey. Hey. i want to put a face on the gherkin just to be like <laughs> the odd one out <laughs> well when you tweet sadiq khan hey can you put a face on the gherkin sadiq if you're listening I'm a big fan what was the building that nearly melted like cars in it was in london right oh, mate, i don't know I'll find out at some right, point. Cool. We're not pausing another episode for not a history. Let's uh, let's let's get off this tangent <laughs> that I accidentally taken us down. So, uh, onto something called the Doors Plan. Right now, because of America's enormous financial dominance, it, uh, along with other Allied powers, invested in the infrastructure of Germany. Now, this is this this might blow your mind, right? Uh, what is the what's the treaty that uh, Germany signed at the end of World War One called? I, my brain went the Treaty of Anai then. Well, that's so close. Ah, oh, I don't know then. If you're interested in finding out about World War One, please check out the two-parter available uh, in I don't know history series one available on publish.com. 
a different kind of casting. I don't know then. The it's... Treaty of Versailles. Versailles! Oh, that's so unfair. My you brain so stored it. So, in the Treaty of Versailles, Germany, um, there were several very unfair clauses that Germany were forced to sign. The war yeah, guilt I remember clause, this from the last one. The war which is what clause. made Germany feel unfair, yes. which is what Hitler... As well as the reparations that they mm-hmm. had to pay um, which was to... For inflation now, like a billion? I'll tell you what it is. Um, it's significantly more. Um, to the Allies uh, to cover civilian loss caused during the war. Now, the original sum... It, it did go down. Mm-hmm. It did, they did take it down. The original sum of reparations that Germany had ag- agreed, more like acquiesced, to pay in 1919 was $33 billion. Dollars. In 1918... How good are you at inflation rates? Oh, I'm not very good, but That's, if you talk, I can find out for you within like 30 seconds. What, all right, what, don't, don't check. I've got it written down. <laughs> oh, okay. What do you think? All right, 33 billion 30 back billion in 1918. 1918. I, it's going to be more than double. So I'm going to say, I'm get, Chris Tarrant, I'm going to say 102 trillion, not 102 trillion, Jesus, uh, 1.2 trillion. 1.2 trillion? Yeah. You've gone a bit too high. Oh! Uh, it's about half a trillion dollars. Oh, okay. Four, that's still an unbelievable amount of money. It's more money than existed in the world at that point. Mm-hmm. $490 billion Four. is in today's estimate. I don't think there's one man in the world who, who has that much money. Yeah. You know, $490 billion. And they've just come out of the most costly war in the history of the world. Yeah. And they're just expected to pay back this money. Right, so... But using this investment um, that America gave to them, Germany was able to begin begin paying back the reparations. Well, West Germany, certainly. Um, wait, no, West Germany's after the Second World War. Sorry, I'm getting my history confused. There's so much of it in my <laughs> floating around my head. There's a lot of history. It just yeah. keeps happening. It just keeps happening. <laughs> That's very true. It was able to begin paying back the reparations and even entered an economic boom of its own, okay. referred to as the Golden Twenties in Germany. Mm-hmm. So we'll move on to social change. Uh, the biggest, the biggest part of the social change in America was women's suffrage. Yeah. So it was becoming widespread in the Western world, um, and I think part of it was that women's contributions to the war effort challenged the idea of women's inferiority. So I read um, an interesting parts of it, an interesting book by a lady called Leslie Hume, who um, I can't remember the name of the book. I'm very sorry. Um, that wrote about this, and she she also thinks that. Um, like the contribution to the war effort, like changed the ideas of women. They they worked in munitions factories, so why 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 wouldn't they be able to have the mental capacity, the mental and physical capacity to vote? You know, it would be ungrateful and illogical to continue to deny them the vote because they've women have proved. I mean, it's it's kind of sounds like a totally ridiculous argument these days. Yeah. But before that, women were just seen as like in, inferior creatures that men just couldn't rely on. I mean, you still get that. You do. today, but like in, it's, um, it's only a hundred years ago. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's, exactly. it's not that long ago. If if you but really it, it was, think it about was to it, the it's point, three yeah. generations. It was to the point where women would go. They were like, "Oh, women are too stupid to vote. Women aren't aren't, aren't mentally capable of getting the idea to vote." Please don't take this out of context. That's what people thought, you know. And obviously, it's just untrue. Yeah. So, in 1920 in America, the 19th Amendment was signed. Mm-hmm. which gave women the right to vote in the U.S. Um, we were a little bit later in the U.K., 1928, 
Mm-hmm. We've got, we got full voting rights for women. But even America was miles behind New Zealand, who gave women the vote in 1893. Oh, my goodness. Which is uh, still like quite a long time. Yeah, like it should have been from the beginning. It should have been from the beginning. Like, let's hit the reset switch and try again. Let's try again. But, you know, 1893, that's, that's early. That's, you know, Victorian. And even, like, New Zealand is, it, at that point, is a British colony as well. So, um, There'll be more on women later, because obviously the, the role of the woman in the 1920s changed significantly. Yeah. Um, also, literature, that's another social change. Have you heard of the Lost Generation? No. So the Lost Generation... I, I think I've heard the, the, yeah, the phrase, the but I don't know. So the Lost Generation were a group of, a group of writers, generally who came out of the war with a cynical and disillusioned view of the world, whether they had served or whether they'd been at home, and just seeing what what, they saw what atrocities people couldn't commit on each other. They had, they had this very nihilistic view, and their writing showed this. So, for example, you had writers like Ernest Hemingway, who wrote For Whom the Bell Tolls, and you had F. Scott Fitzgerald, who famously wrote The Great Gatsby. And it was um, resentment towards materialism and individualism were key themes in their books. And even if you read The Great Gatsby today, you can kind of see, even though, I don't know literature for a second, even though Jay Gatsby is a charismatic character and is the hero of the piece, you can almost see F. Scott Fitzgerald like ridiculing him as a character for his excess and kind of, like sneering at, at these people who measure everything by wealth. Yeah. You know, like the Daisy Buchanans and the Tom Buchanans, all the kind of people, you know. When did The Catcher in the Rye come out? Is this... Catcher in the Rye was Salinger. Yeah. But um, I, think... I, I think it might also have been the 20s. I'm not sure. Don't. I, that's don't where my brain that. is kind of taking me on that one because I was like, that's also very nihilistic kind yeah, of... Yeah, the character Holden Caulfield is very much... Uh, about himself. Like a narcissist. Yeah, you read that in your teens and it's very relatable you read that in your 20s and you go oof you go this guy is such a dick yeah like grow up like get get out of it oh it's the 50s oh really yeah I'm surprised at that but then again it would have been quite big at that period which would have led to the whole John Lennon well that was post World War 2 as well yeah so you might have you might have seen a similar resurgence to you know what happened after we get World it War. today I, I remember watching an interview literally the other day about someone who served in Afghanistan um, who you know had lost the ability to walk he had been blown up twice and was the first person to be operated on in a helicopter during the war mm-hmm. and he's written a book about all the visual like horrible things that he saw whilst out there so I feel like a lot of people do come out of war um, yeah and, I think so right no, down uh, their experience mm. or put their worldview into into words because when you've seen that kind of thing what do you do with it you need some kind of outlet know. yeah no you're, you're right so more, more <laughs> bit more positive more positively jazz jazz or oh I love jazz music particularly you so like jazz, jazz um, arrived in the 1920s um, and it was a creation of generally black musicians yeah um, it was dominated, in fact, by black musicians. Do you know any 1920s jazz musicians? We're talking 1920s. I can't get that specific. I'm sorry. So we've got Louis Armstrong. I was worried that he was going to be later and I was going to be a he, bit... His career spanned much longer, but he yeah, I was came worried. to... I, did, I wasn't sure if he started yeah, in the, yeah. the 20s kind of thing. Um, James P. Johnson. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Big Spider Becker. Great mm-hmm. name. That is a very good name. And, um, Sounds kind of like a Marvel character, though. Doesn't it? Yeah. And the, the notably white, but also incredibly famous Bing Crosby. Mm-hmm. He was probably more famous because he was white, but he was a jazz singer. Yeah. I think one thing that it's... It, it comes down to marketing again, mm-hmm. I think, because they're like Louis Armstrong, so like the names that they all had, yeah. like uh, Bing Crosby, does have kind of a crossover of names. Like, I didn't realize he was white until a few years ago. Mm. Like, I didn't realize. And that's because they're like very similar sounding in voice, um, very similar yeah, of, yeah. of that era. Mm-hmm. And obviously, this is a period before, Not yes, cinema was becoming a thing, but it's mm-hmm. not like performances were recorded a lot no no exactly. so i would visually see him so considering the industry mm-hmm. i would have i just assumed but also jazz to this day is still dominated by by african-american musicians as My, miles davis i kind of want to say as it should be because of they built that culture mm-hmm. behind it i appreciate yeah. it and i do enjoy i do enjoy me some jazz i, I like jazz. me a good old sax i love putting on, but, putting on jazz um just to chill out and work. Yeah, late, lately I've gone from listening to lo-fi hip-hop to jazz to concentrate mm-hmm. in work. I, I feel like it's more more enjoyable. It's very just like smooth. But yeah. um, it was obviously a creation based on... Well, I think... Again, I'm not a black person. I don't know about the black experience. But from what I know, it's um, trying to get away from the traditional, traditional white music to create mm-hmm. their own sort of social identity. And then, you know, and also, it's culturally it's, appropriated a lot of it. Yes, and it's, unfortunately. And it's also um, an illustration of the time. Because in the 1920s, people were trying new things and um, making new developments. And kind of jazz is a microcosm of that. It's like the the epitome of it. It's mm-hmm. new and it's fresh and exciting. And so well, many things are 1920s. You can take a look at blues, work. like um, blues before it kind of thing. It... Mm-hmm. It, I mean, genres change constantly anyway. You can take a look at um, drum and bass from the mm-hmm. 90s to dubstep of the of the 10s. They're very mm-hmm. similar of like how they started and what they mm-hmm. what they do. But like styles change. But it was very much within that in their culture to mm-hmm. go from blues to sax, especially with the instruments. Well, used. I don't know. I think I think jazz jazz as a concept is more akin to something like punk rock because it was created because of like feelings mm-hmm. you know well so it's blues but I, I what I mean is say like blues is the enjoyment of, of of at least I don't how I perceive jazz which can be very different to other people is the enjoyment of of the blues of being sad putting your your sadness out there and feeling it um, so you're, you're right in saying say like jazz is uh, like uh, it's like following up from that it, mm-hmm. you can take a look at say like the 60s or say like the the psychedelic hippie kind of not rebellion but like peaceful kind of rebellion mm-hmm. and then you go into the 70s and you've got a bit more stronger rock you've got people being quite different out there mm-hmm. so like you th- th- this is when you get yeah elton john's career per mm-hmm. se perceives decades but his sound very changes per mm-hmm. per those decades and you hear that difference within them. Mm. Definitely. That definitely. was a lot in one go then. <laughs> yeah. uh, obviously, because of this new music, uh, there was a dance revolution. A dance dance revolution, if you like. Oh, I love DDR. Uh, um, carry on. So, uh, 
because of this, because of jazz as well, and because of people having more money and all this sort of stuff. Swing. That was later. Swing oh. came in the 30s, 40s. Oh, yeah. That makes At sense. first, it was traditional, ja- traditional dance, like foxtrot and tango yeah. to this new music, but it moved away from that later because, as we discussed, young people were the millennials of their time, if you like, were kind of revolutionizing everything. Yeah. So you got the Breakaway, which is a dance, the Charleston, mm-hmm. and the uh, Charleston is very famous, and the Lindy Hop, mm-hmm. which was played to stride piano. I just. Thinking about the names of dances from back yeah. then, it's like, they're really nice names. And it's like, what dance have we got now? And it's like, the Macarena. <laughs> Sounds fine. So Stride Piano was called Stride, I think, from what I've researched, because of the distances the musician's hands move between notes. Mm-hmm. So instead of a step, it's a stride. Mm-hmm. Ray Charles was a well-versed stride player. And um, what's the guy's name? Pete Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. This dance craze changed thoughts about contemporary music, too. Obviously, they, they, they work in tandem. So because people were dancing so much, musicians were writing songs for dance halls. So you'd get more upbeat so people could dance to it. Yeah. You don't want to have, like, Moonlight Serenade by Glenn Miller, and you're, like, trying to Charleston to it. Yeah. You can't do it. I think it's got more exciting. Exciting and hip. Mm-hmm. Fashion. Moving about. Fashion. So flappers. Mm-hmm. As we've said, we've talked about. Um, so the idea of a flapper was so a flapper is we call them and we call them flappers now, but they didn't call themselves flappers. It was the older generations who referred to them as flappers. Yeah. In the same way that the older generation in the nineties might have called young businessmen a yuppie, mm-hmm. for example. So flappers were they embodied the idea of breaking away from rigid Victorian womanhood. Yeah. You know, so they wore like looser clothing. Um, they covered less of their legs and arms. They had yeah. knee-length skirts. <gasps> oh That's God. what you get, like, when you see them dance. It's kind of, the dress kind of mm-hmm. flourishes. The, 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 very similar to, like, the yeah. 50s dresses, but yeah. very also the, very different. The stereotype of flapper that you've got in your head is exactly, like, exactly how people dressed. Yeah. With the, the sparkly headbands and the, the bob haircuts and things like that. Yeah. Um, and it's also the whole more... thing of, like, fashion, just because of, said, like, the 50s mm-hmm. knowledge, like, you can see the inspiration. It's, like, fashion kind of goes, like, two or three decades behind. Mm-hmm. Like, we're kind of in an amalgam of the what I'm noticing at the minute is, like, the 90s with some of us, and also some of us are, like, mm-hmm. 80s or... Uh, almost say so mm-hmm. like the fashion is yeah 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 there's the kind well, interestingly of, you know, about the 20s is that everything was new mm-hmm. there was nothing that it was influenced by it was yeah. just, people just started doing things so like coco chanel was around in the 20s and she started completely revolutionizing fashion you have because material the material as well and you were saying yeah. instead of like transport and like cars and stuff like that so it's mm-hmm. it it makes sense that because materials were easier to get across places mm-hmm. it made things more creative and different so like mm-hmm. denim changed a lot of things mm. for, it was for people. Work, it was work clothes originally, wasn't it? Yeah. So Coco Chanel revolutionized women's fashion um, with a knee-length dress. Mm-hmm. She also famously wore trousers. <gasps> Shock A horror. woman in trousers? And she, uh, she kind of um, popularized, popularized the, the, the little black dress, mm-hmm. which is so famous now. Um, so a, a flapper, a, tradition, a, a real stereotypical flapper, had a knee-length dress, a bob haircut, um, they were young, fashionable, and highly and financially independent. Um, and they wore makeup, which you were allowed to do now, because um, it was le- prior to the 1920s in the Victorian times. If you wore makeup, what were you? 
That I don't know. If someone saw you wearing red lipstick, what were you? What me or did... a, a woman? If you were, if you were a woman in nineteen oh eight, yeah, and someone saw you wearing red lipstick, what would they assume you were? A prostitute. A prostitute. Yeah. So now I was about to say like I was going to go from flapper to slapper, and I I was I didn't was feel starting, super comfortable. I'm literally about to talk about feminism, so please don't. I am using that. Very ironically, I do apologize. But, so, yeah. so women, now newly unshackled by Victorian attitudes, which just fell away with the times, became more bold and independent due to their ability to vote, um, their new careers in offices and schools, because of how much, just out of necessity in, during the war, women worked in munitions factories and all sorts of things. And so people realized that, you know, women could work. And um, have you ever seen A View from the Bridge? No. It's an Arthur Miller play. I think it might be set slightly later than the 1920s. But um, the girl in it, Catherine, she's getting... I think her name's Catherine? Yeah, she's getting like a job as a stenographer, which is basically a, a typist. Yeah. And that sort of thing. So offices and schools, um, those those kind of jobs opened up. And like, yeah, they were just... Bec- they, they drank, they smoked. They went, to, they went to... They went out. I mean, I'll talk about drinking soon. Um, and though feminism didn't really gain that much traction, its focus shifted, its values changed. So rather than just going on um, the political track, now that they have gained the vote, it was the, the, the question was, why can't a woman have a career and a family? Yeah. You know? So while political equality was still important, the view shifted to include um, like sexual liberation. It's no coincidence that one of the most um, influential psychologists of of his time, Sigmund Freud, was writing at this point. Who's, who's all, he's all about sexual liberation. Yeah. Um, and people started to realize, and women started to realize, that they weren't just, you know, baby carriers. They had their own sexual desires and impulses. Yeah. And because of the freedom of the 1920s, they were allowed to explore that. So that's what, that's what feminism, like, focused towards was like a woman's independence and she's not just like a possession of her husband. Mm-hmm. And while that, that, that stuck around, that did stick around for quite some time until I think, I think the, the marital, some culture still do I think today. the marital rape law was repealed in 1999 in Britain, which is pretty horrific, but you know, sorry, what year? 1999. I don't have a cushion in me, in me, by me to scream into. Oh. Yeah. So, but, um, it was the start of moving towards that because in Victorian times it just wasn't. There was no, there was no equality. There was no feminism. I want it to was be just, sick. Just, just, sorry. I want to be sick. Oh, okay. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry for no, telling you that. Really? No, it's just it's not your fault. I'm just mad. Like this is these are the bits of the podcast that I want to know though. This is the okay. dirty that of history yeah, yeah. that we need to know and as a culture need to be ashamed of. Mm. Like obviously, I was I was five. It's not like I could do anything at the time. No, but it's also like, uh, you know, a lot of this, when even stuff that goes on today that we are aware of, if we if we keep letting it happen, mm. it is our fault. It is every single one of our faults, um, culturally and just yeah. societally. Yeah. Well, let's talk about something much nicer: <laughs> um, organized crime. <laughs> okay. So, the mob and prohibition. Mm-hmm. is a, Prohibition is probably one of the most um, enduring ideas from the 1920s, I think. Um, so, the, in 1919, this was just before the 1920s, the 18th Amendment 
was put into the Constitution and the Volstead Act, as it was called, was signed, which criminalized the manufacture, sale, purchase, and distribution of alcohol. Although it wasn't technically illegal to drink it. So if you had some before the Volstead Act, you could drink it. But you could not buy it or sell it or make it or give it to anyone. <laughs> um, okay. and the idea of pro- prohibition was it was to reduce public drunkenness. It's still an idea of kind of the, the Victorian age. It's like we don't want people we don't want people walking around in the streets drunk. Um, it was to uh, deal with petty crime, so that's theft, um, spousal abuse, uh, among other things. You know, drunk men hit their wives. That was kind of they started seeing that and be like, maybe we should ban alcohol mm-hmm. instead of you know banning spousal abuse. Yeah, yeah, send people to prison for beating their wives. I think I think you did. I'm not sure, um, but <laughs> literally the first words I've written on this page are, people like drinking. To the point where they're quite happy to break the law to continue it. So, what opened up, RJ? Do you remember the? Do you know the word? I don't know the word, but I know there is a musical where they in the in a church they set up a place where you could drink, and the police burst in, being like, "Yeah, I'm drinking in here." A, it's just like, no, this is it's a speakeasy. Oh right, okay. Speakeasy they're called. So speakeasy speakeasies were illegal bars that sold alcohol. And they generally evaded police through bribes. Now, the people that you are going to see in those in those films and stuff like that, they are federal agents. They are, they are federal prohibition agents who were employed to stop it. Local police often turned a blind eye and took bribes. In fact, some of them went in and drank themselves. You know? Mm-hmm. And some of these speakeasies were incredibly elaborate. Um, you did food, live bands, floor shows, great big things. Have you ever seen a show called Boardwalk Empire? I mean, it has been on my to-watch list literally for seven years, mm. and I don't know why I so haven't watched it yet. The main character, played by Steve Buscemi, he, he owns and, well, he partly owns, and he helps run a speakeasy called Babette's, which is like this great big theatre where everyone drinks and, you know, parties and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, like, because of this lack of proper policing of alcohol and other vices, notably gambling and narcotics, criminals began to organise its sale and distribution, and they could make huge amounts of money like 900,000 gallons of um, like Cuban rum and Irish whiskey and stuff like that was imported Moonshine? That, this is when Moonshine was a thing yeah but they, the criminals would import liquor Good stuff oh right so like they'd import the good, good stuff and then stuff. it's like the back this, you know the, the, okay this is also inter- interestingly because the summer of drinks is coming up uh, this is oh, where, the cup this is where, this is where drinks. cocktails originated. I don't have this written down. I just know this. This is where cocktails originated, because the the gin that was made during Prohibition in like people's bathtubs was, was so, so bad, was so terrible. Oh, people made um, like to cover it. Yeah, people made like the Gimlet and not the Gimlet, but the yeah. Tom Collins and things like that. And some of these older cocktails, you have to put a bit of sugar and a bit of lime and. Make, I get it, it because nice so like, even it. today, so like with good, like with I don't like gin. I really dislike it. Mm-hmm. But I have had multiple cocktails with gin in that I can't taste. I can't taste the gin. You you get the sort of the juniper notes and the like the berry notes and the spicy notes. Yeah, but like, everything but the sugar the, and the, yeah, the juices you know? that and they overtake that and they hide the bad mm-hmm. taste. But you get wrecked. You get you get wrecked, kid. Yeah. Um, the musical that I was referring to was uh, Robin and the Seven Hoods, uh, which has Frank Sinatra in it, set in Chicago oh, wow. during the Prohibition. Wow. Uh, and the song I was thinking of 
was Mr. Booze. <laughs> Mr. Booze. Yes, uh, it's a scene where they the police bust into a church where they have a speakeasy kind of thing go on. So, and it's a very funny scene. Oh yeah, I might watch it. We should watch musicals together. We still have to watch Lord of the Rings. We have so much we need to do, <laughs> but you are so busy all the time, Alex. I know. So, a lot of these criminals were from impoverished Italian immigrant neighborhoods mm-hmm. who had fled to Italy to avoid living under austerity <laughs> a, a dictator oh okay. who was called wait during what where from in sorry? the 20s italy italy oh i don't know mussolini thank you benito mussolini oh i remember because in the podcast where we talked about him i said he reminds me of the breakfast cereal muesli Mus- <laughs> <laughs> how do you not remember that i don't know this, this is I how I've, I remember history. I think I've tried to block it out. By characters from Big Hero 6 and breakfast, breakfast cereals. Yes. Um, and also um, Irish settlers who came over on the Mayflower and, yeah. and things like that. Which um, is why every American <clears throat> thinks that they're Irish. Well, um, ah, originally. So a lot of... Okay, so pretty much every bootlegger and criminal mm-hmm. was... Italian or Irish. Yeah. Because you couldn't get a proper job. Like, they, they went into this mob, into the organized crime, because the money was worth it to avoid, like, to avoid police. Like, the risks were worth it, and because they weren't going to get a job anywhere else. Yeah. And the crime, for, for lack of a better phrase, crime paid. Yeah. Can you, do you know of any Prohibition-era gangsters? If you watch Boardwalk Empire, which I'm a big fan of, if you haven't guessed... Malone is appearing in my head, and I'm probably wrong. Post Malone? No, he wasn't. Not Post Malone. I don't know. I don't know then. The last name Malone is appearing in my head, or something else. You're coming up with someone who's fairly close. Al. Al something. It's not Al Malone, but it sounds just like that. (laughs) I was was about to say Al Pacino. Now, now, <laughs> rearrange the letters in Pacino. <laughs> um, I, 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 I give up. Al Capone. Al Capone. <laughs> <laughs> Post Malone, Al Capone. Okay. Uh, or Scarface, as he was called. He was the inspiration for the film. Oh, okay. Scarface. Al Capone was a Chicago gangster, but also involved in the bootlegging trade, where I've got a huge list of people who are very well known. Joe Masseria, Joe the Boss. Salvatore Maranzano, the original, um, the original creator of the five families, as they're called now, mm-hmm. like the five criminal families that still exist to this day in New York. Lucky Luciano, who was the man who killed Salvatore Maranzano and took over the five families. Maya Lansky, his Jewish associate. Jaime Weiss, who is in Chicago. Waxy Gordon, Arnold Rothstein, Enoch Johnson, George Remus, Dino Banyan were some very prominent bootleggers in their time. Nice. Arnold Rothstein also fixed the 1919 World Series. And was a known gambler. I, I understand why films about the 20s seem so exciting. Mm-hmm. Because a lot was going on that seemed, it felt like... It feels like in those films the government is bad at doing its thing. Because like the police always come across as stupid. But, and I'm not yeah. surprised because they're getting away with a lot. Oh, but also like police weren't trained in the same way that they are now. It was just yeah. like, I want to be a policeman. They were like, okay, yeah, here's your baton and your badge and your gun. Go shoot baddies. Yeah. And you know, 
when they got drunk and shot up anyway there's a comedy routine on BBC Sesh at the minute that's just like about a policeman in like the first policeman in Port Albert um, and it's just very funny imagine giving someone you know the right to lock people up it's just like oi get come with me going to prison going to prison but uh, it's just like oh why, why should I stop what I'm doing because I'm a policeman the fuck's a policeman so uh, we cannot talk about the Roaring Twenties without talking about its unfortunate end mm-hmm. and the Wall Street crash of 1929. Because, as you know, RJ, with every boom comes a bust. Yes. What goes up must come down. So, despite the potential dangers... Bitcoin. Despite the potential dangers, um, economic economic economists thought the stock market would grow endlessly, forever and ever, which is obviously nonsense. Yeah. Uh, in September 20th, my father's birthday, 1929. Um, a London. I'm stock guessing broker, he wasn't born in 1929. He was born in 1966. London <laughs> stockbroker Clarence Hatchery and Associates were jailed for fraud. Now, Clarence Hatchery was a top investor, and his lack of spending caused other buyers to panic and sell their stocks because the spending power isn't there. You you understand how stock markets work? Right? Yeah, I understand. The more, the more people buy, yeah, yeah, because one person wasn't him buying and a group of his associates and selling. Not just him, a group of his associates who were big spenders in the stock market. In yeah. the London stock market now, this is this is important. That caused a minor crash, right? So yeah. that maybe took... That probably took away, in, in some stockbrokers' heads, the idea that the stock market is untouchable and it will never crash. Like that, That's happened in London. We go, oh, okay. So they're, they're starting to maybe feel a bit of, not panic, but a bit uneasy about it. Next month, October 24th, 1929. There was so much trade in the stock market, because at this point, it's doing the best it has ever done. That the ticker tape machines, you know the ticker tape machines, which it comes out of the... Yeah. It gets the, printed out, and yeah. it tells you the stock movements. They couldn't keep up with the trade, meaning that brokers were buying and selling stocks without actually knowing the actual trade value. Oh my god. And obviously, this caused enormous panic, and the... The stock market began to slide, but smart moves by investment bankers halted the slide. Like, for example, one of the most senior, one of the more senior investment bankers um, took some money that he had and made a massive buy in like a steel. I think it was steel, and that pushed the prices up, and everyone kind of went, "Oh, prices have gone up. Calm down," and that stopped the slide briefly. That's so weird, because okay, so I understand that that sounds like a good thing, mm-hmm. but. People have done that with Bitcoin. They buy, like, some people have bought a bunch of Bitcoin mm-hmm. to make the price of it shoot up. So yeah. other people are like, I'm going to get on it now uh, before it goes up anymore because yeah. it's going to go up quite a lot. Um, but often that comes with, like, illegal charges for manipulating the system. Like, especially uh, for it, your game. It was, it which was investment bankers that- would be. It was actually people that were sort of in charge of the stock market. Yeah, but surely that is like internally illegal because you're manipulating your system for your benefit. It's not for, it wasn't for, was it investment bankers? It might have actually been like the senior officials of the stock market. But that's still, it's still benefiting their industry. Well, it's it's benefiting everyone, that's the thing. Yeah, but it's still manipulating your market rather than like, it. Because you're investing within it, so you get gains within it. So it's like, oh, I'm going to put two million into this company right now. 
everyone else starts shooting into it to get money. You can pull your money out with profit because uh, and, it's, and, it's gone up and in stock. I suppose. Yeah, maybe but they still, were thinking. Oh, this I, could if be. If that happened today, I'm pretty sure that would be considered illegal. Would anyone with, go to jail by uh, financial control? Authority. Would anyone go, go to jail for it now? Almost definitely not. Mm, that's true. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I like how they went to prison back then and still committed stuff like that. That's so. Yeah. That's oh. So history's fun. This uh, no <laughs> history's the best. It halted the slide until October the 29th, 1929, Black Monday. So as the prices dropped on shares, more investors wanted to sell and get out of the declining market. Go, let's just let's cut our losses. They said. Um, do you know what the Dow the Dow Jones is? No. It's the the Dow Jones Financial Index is essentially the American FTSE 100. Oh, okay. So it's the top 30, I think it is, most successful, most like traded businesses. Yeah. The the Dow Jones dropped uh, 12% on that day, which is enormous. Yeah. Like you you're talking companies of millions of, of billions. Like, yeah. Not catastrophic at this point. It could still be. Recovered. But like. It, it's you know when say like Nike takes a hit because of a mm-hmm. controversy. It's yeah. like one percent may sound like nothing, 1% a huge but one percent of a billion pound company is so much money. What is that? I could lose a percent of how much I have, and it's like oh, I've lost ten pounds. Oh, that's a, a billion dollar company. One percent is a million dollars. Yeah, like that's a lot. Yeah, you are right. Bye bye, cash. Like. I I would happily if Nike could give me one percent of their money, I'd I'd be sorted for life. You'd be comfortable for life. I'd be yeah, comfortable yeah. for life. That is ridiculous. So in October October that was October twenty eighth. The next day, October 29th, was called Black Tuesday. They weren't very original <laughs> with their names. Imagine um, if they started going colourful with it. Like, uh, let's rename Mo- Monday wasn't as bad as Tuesday, so let's call it grey, then black. <laughs> Wednesday Monday. was kind of a dirty day, so let's call it brown. Wednesday? Wednesday was the worst day ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, so, yeah, so they really went on to brown October 29th, on that day. Uh, 16 million shares were sold mm-hmm. as panic became widespread. Yeah. Everyone was, as soon as it opened, people were like, I've got to sell my shares, I've got to sell my shares. And obviously, the more people sell shares, the lower Everything's shares worth. will be sold for. So the Dow Jones Financial Index at the end of October 29th, had lost 25% of its value in two days. About $30 billion at the time. Yeah. Doing the conversion, that's probably about, yeah, $400 billion. Yeah. Was just, it gone. Bye-bye. It just didn't exist anymore. Yeah. And obviously that led into the Great Depression. I don't want to focus too much on the Great Depression because it's sad. And it's enough, again, it's enough for its own episode. What, um, just read of Mice and Men if you want to understand like, what people felt like during that. So between 1929 and 1932, the worldwide GDP dropped by 15%. So if anyone doesn't know what GDP is, it's a measurement of wealth. It's a, it's a measurement of general wealth. It's the easiest way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you mentioned the Great Recession, as it was called. In the financial crash of 2008, mm-hmm. um, the worldwide GDP dropped by one percent in 2008. Mm-hmm. In 1929, it dropped by 15 percent. So, if you want to quantify what the Great Depression was like, take the recession in 2008 and make it 15 times worse. 
I wonder that wouldn't. I mean, I'm not saying it wouldn't happen today because I, I'm I'm going to touch wood because I'm an adult now and I don't want to deal with that. Um, but because you're saying the ticker tape kind of stuff, we have monitors and screens yeah. and the internet to handle that, stocks and yeah, stuff now. That particular situation where people are just blindly buying and selling that that wouldn't be happening. Yeah. So oh my, and you this the past. Like the, the apparently one of the themes of this season is my enjoyment and not understanding of money because you said earlier <laughs> it's like things have gone down it's just like that's billions of dollars that just yeah. don't exist anymore it's like how does something not exist anymore think how, think how many iron ingots a Spartan would have to carry in order to, in order to get the 30 billion dollars I just I don't understand money I just really don't but no, you're exactly right. That's that's exactly what the ge- like the general public thought, and this, it was exactly this... the same we thought with the banking crisis, like Northern Rock. Yeah, it's just someone goes, "I've put my money in this bank, and now it's gone." Yeah, how is it gone? You know, where where has it gone? It's just disappeared. I would enjoy doing an episode about the financial crisis of two thousand and eight because okay. it is so recent, but still, it it does feel a long time ago. But maybe that's because uh... I was fourteen. When yeah, when that took place, and I remember so like the outcome, so like the UK government brought VAT down after that for and then for certain put it things, back up. and then put it back up a lot. Is it twenty percent still, or is it seventeen? I think again? it's twenty percent at the minute, which I really need to know because I uh, I own roganbar.com. We'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> so after, during the Great Depression, um, personal income. Tax revenue and prices dropped immensely. Mm-hmm. But um, you would think that some of those things wouldn't be that bad, but the fact that personal income dropped so much meant that, obviously, taxes went down as well, which meant that the government couldn't fund things to help people who didn't have money. People couldn't afford these um, these consumer goods. So many people had, like, washing machines and cars on higher purchase that they now couldn't... couldn't pay back. Pay yeah. back. And then, so if that got, if that got taken away from them... They, Loan shops it, it just, would it just have made, become a thing. It just made it worse because they couldn't then get to work or they couldn't get to the places they needed to go. So unemployment rose to 25% in the United States, which is unbelievably oh high God. For, for a developed country like the United States. Um, international trade was, was halved worldwide because people just didn't have the money to export goods. Um, it did... It, it, it settled everyone down a little bit. The 1920s is always kind of seen as this um, this frivolous period where everyone was drunk all the time and everyone was smoking all the time and everyone has parties all the time, particularly if you've watched or read The Great Gatsby. You know, everything's just like this fervor of throwing money around. So the Great Depression ended the fervor of, of buying goods in the 20s as people like had to hold on to their money. So spending on luxury goods, as I said, plummeted, leading to a drop in the industries and then then lack of jobs. So it just, in the same way that at the start of the 20s, the rise of the automobile kind of it just compounds everything and makes everything worth more and keep going one little thing happens and everything else shuts down it's how reliant all these industries are on each other so yeah so the great depression didn't last forever obviously it lasted sort of midway into the 30s unfortunately the world recovered in time for hitler to invade poland i wonder how that would have like worked out 
like World War Two would have worked out if they were still in in, in the depression. Like if they didn't uh-huh. recover, if it was worse, if they didn't recover as well, I wonder how that would have gone because financing would have been harder. That's that's um, true. But having said that, Germany's finances were also struggling. They they suffered a depression of their own yeah. in the thirties. Um, it was actually. This is what you know when people say the the typical trope of like, oh, not everything Hitler did was bad. Do you know? Hit- Shut the front door. But but listen, before Hitler, uh, there was a gentleman called Gustav Stresemann who dealt with the hyperinflation and introduced the new rent and mark. But also, after the depression, there was still a lot of unemployment and uh, political uh, tensions and stuff like that. And like, Hitler did. He dealt with the unemployment. Yeah, he basically conscripted people, and so they they were employed. And he he created the RED, which was a, um, it was essentially like it wasn't just it him. Was a it's not like he's he approved stuff. I mean, he pretty much did. Alex, I'm trying to not compliment Hitler on this podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, you you brought it up. I know. <laughs> I was just trying to look for an out. <laughs> but yeah, so. The world did recover before World War Two. Um, had it not, I think. Uh, to be honest, I think World War Two would have been delayed. Okay. Because because everyone's economies were tied together. The American economy, because they'd invested so much into Germany, was tied to Germany's economy, who obviously relied on German aid to be able to pay its reparations. And then, because of that, it could trade with Britain, it could trade with France, and it could trade with the rest of the world. And had it not have that. Um, economic structure in place like if, if America hadn't recovered Germany wouldn't have recovered and um, you may not have even seen Hitler get elected because people would have uh, resorted to different methods you might have seen communism more prevalent in Germany than it was rather than fascism it's so Had interesting to elected. think that the causation of a lot of stuff not a lot of stuff it, I, you don't know yeah. like history you know it's it, hindsight's twenty twenty. you can theorize and you can theorize yeah and that's, that's but what's it's the most so weird to think that if that crash yeah. didn't happen if those bankers weren't investors mm. weren't done for fraud what would have happened because it was a mild panic yeah. that made a bigger panic and it's just it, it was the snowball effect mm-hmm. that destroyed most of America it's multiverse um, theory. during that period of time multiverse theory something um, else would have happened and it has happened somewhere else oh. in the universe I, I look forward to the day where computers get so strong enough to understand the human brain and the way that we act and yeah. impulsively act where it can predict things that we're going to do um, oh, like but, because of our yeah. behaviours and how we are as human beings the dishwasher's going off I'm That's sorry uh, and potentially could go back in time understanding yeah. people's motions because then that way you'll be able to take this apply certain changes to just how humans behave and my headphones fell to the floor as well it's a very noisy point um and just slightly change history and just view it like leaving the sims on free play and just watching things play out what you're describing is the singularity but still i would love it i'd hate it it is it is really interesting and that's why as a as a an amateur historian, um, time travel movies, a lot of them really annoy me <laughs> because I think like that, like if I went back in time and killed Napoleon, yeah, God, what would have happened? You have to theorize every little note like, and nook would, would there of have history. Been a new 
British European Empire because he wouldn't have had that strength would there have been another dictator who would have sort of taken his place and formed that French Empire if if I'd gone back in time and killed baby Hitler would you know um, Anton, would Germany have recovered would Anton Drexler have been the Hitler that we know yeah. Remember Anton Drexler from I, episode one? Yes, I do remember because that name is... Sounds like a Pokemon. Drexler. It does, as Drexler. well as just the whole name does sound like just a typical Bond villain. It does. Um, just, you could call... Or like a Spider-Man villain. Like, mm. you know, you've got Dr. Octavius. Like, mm. if you Otto said Octavius. Dr. Drexler to me, I'd Dr. be like... Drexler, yeah. Like I'd be waiting for him to turn into a dragon, where like his <laughs> his Marvel name would be Dragon Draxler, Draxler Dragon kind of Drax thing. The Destroyer. Well, I think this is the perfect time to. How did you feel about the Roaring Twenties? Did you did you feel like it was a a nice departure from the horror of history? Yeah, I a little. Bit. I enjoyed it. I like. I learned a lot because I this I think has been one of the more like back and forward mm-hmm. episodes yeah, that we've, we've done because there's stuff that I've said that you didn't know yeah. and this is this is more like a I an kind of discussion. know history this is an IKK history oh gotta be careful with those those initials there mm. um, the, the Ku Klux Klan actually heavily backed Prohibition I hate Speaking this history is so complex and dirty how how I like the back and forth of this, and I feel like the way that we're sat also really helps into the kind of chill vibe. It's like a discussion it's, it's podcast quite nice. this time. Um, yeah, I, th- I think this is a nice place, nice place to stop. We've been going for an hour and a half. Well, my notes have I've, my notes are finished as well. That's how good. long? Hour and a half. Good lord. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to take this time to thank you for listening to I Don't Know History. Uh, if you want to follow the podcast, please follow at Podmage. If you want to make a request, please tweet at Podmage with the hashtag IDKHistory. And if you want to pledge, go to patreon.com forward slash Podmage. Uh, my name's Alex. I've been the historian. RJ? Yes? Do you think you know history? I think I'll know a little bit more about history. Goodbye. Bye. This episode of I Don't Know History was brought to you by Podmage.com. A different kind of casting. Written by Alex Fakili and produced by RJ Davis. The theme song is Out Orbit by Revolution Void, licensed under Creative Commons Zero.